transmission incoming. Welcome to the Potable Picture Show. Let's do it. Episode 0067, A Penguin and a Swan Walk into a Bar. Hello, you've entered the Potable Picture Show, your podcast dedicated to motion pictures and drinking liquors. I'm your host, Kevin McRae. You can call me Blarv. I'm here to tell you that this show may contain mature language, so keep that in mind as we go forward. So we are still continuing on our back-to-school month here on the podcast, and this is the week where we're going to start to double-dip a bit. So this um, is sort of our regular episode, but it's our bonus episode. We will have a episode later on in the week. Uh, on today's episode, it will just be me. I will be talking about the films Back to School, starring Rodney Dangerfield, and Billy Madison, starring Adam Sandler. Uh, We have a little bit to cover, and it's just me, so let's head into the cantina and into the VIP booth and get today's show started. Well, here I am in the VIP booth at the top of the cantina. Uh, the, the area has been reconfigured a little bit, rearranged right now. I'm in a temporary situation, um, because this weekend we'll probably be flying over to planet Matt doing an episode there. Um, so I haven't totally put everything together here in anticipation of, of leaving later on. Um, so we're in a little bit of disarray as we've moved in some furniture and moved around some items, starting to pull out the Halloween things. We've got some wolf masks and some lights around the cantina. Um, so yeah, just me today. Gonna gonna kick off this podcast. Might be a little bit shorter as it's just me, and we won't have anyone arguing with me and telling me silly things that aren't true. If you're new to the podcast, uh, anytime you hear a sounder about hitting a baby, something similar to this, uh, that's that's fine to hit this baby. Then go ahead and drink along with me. I will probably having to be hitting that button. Well, excuse me, I, I have to go ahead and drink. Anytime I do these podcasts on my own, I often have to um, use liberal or liberally use that button as I start to become parched. Um, let's see. I don't think a whole lot else to cover here in the introduction. You will be hearing from us again later in the week. So let's go ahead and head into some news. The newsman will come on and he'll go, 
He'll go, good evening, everybody. This is the newsman. Whatever he says. He's not going to say that. <laughs> and he goes, our top story tonight. Yeah, there was Norm MacDonald, who we, uh, we, we, we will be seeing or saw in Billy Madison. Um, but our top story tonight, let's start with The Force Awakens, shall we? This is always going to be top news, Star Wars. So, John Boyega, you know him from the trailers. Uh, he's one of the first things we saw, I think, in the very first trailer that dropped. He's the black dude dressed as a stormtrooper. Uh, named Finn. His character's name is Finn in the movie. He says that this movie, when we finally get to see it, is a very emotional experience. He says even the screenplay moved him to tears. Uh, Quote, this is what he uh, told GQ, quote, when I read the script, I cried, and I'm not really a big crier. I'm more like a frog in the throat kind of guy. He'll try to hold it in and make sure I don't let it all out. Um, you know, maybe he was crying in relief because it had, you know, it took him so long to get this part. Uh, he, he did also tell GQ in the same, um, interview that it took him about seven months of auditions just to get the role. He called it the X factor, uh, but without the TV show around it. So yeah, that's gotta be kind of, kind of agonizing. Um, of his character, Boyega has only a vague uh, tease to share with us. He says, uh, again, quote, Finn is dope. His story is so epic. It's a story that's never been seen before. But it also mirrors the stories of Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. And he's quirky and charismatic and funny. For me, he was the best character in the script. So maybe maybe a little bit of biasness there. We don't know. Uh, it is his part. Um he uh, he did talk a little bit about lightsabers. He said they're not exactly light. Uh, they're uh, in quote, they're heavy those things, and there's a lot of running involved. I was training on a high incline treadmill, so when it came uh, to it, I could sprint around the desert in a leather jacket. They could do a Star Wars weight loss program. So, a little bit of Star Wars news. Uh, next, we saw um, earlier. They leaked, uh, basically Quentin Tarantino's leaked wish list for Pulp Fiction came out. And uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll have a uh, picture of this on the podcast webpage. If you want to go to PotablePictureShow.com, check out this list in its entirety. He does have broken down by character. Um, and he has three stars for first choice, two stars for second choice, one star for strong person, uh, possibility. So his, his, uh, his first choice for Pumpkin was Tim Roth. Second choice was Johnny Depp. Honey Bunny, his first choice was Amanda Plummer. A um, couple other strong opinions. Vincent, was, uh, uh, John Travolta, actually wasn't his first choice. Michael Madsen was his first choice for that role. And uh, um, Travolta was his second choice choice and he wrote um in parentheses strong 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 second choice so we really did want john travolta um lance uh his first choice was john cusack and uh if um if Harvey Cartel had not been available to play the wolf, he wanted Warren Beatty. Interesting. And again, there's six, seven, eight, nine, ten other people listed 
uh, for some of these parts in here. I know uh, which role was it? I think we see, oh yeah, Kristen Slater, who we talked about last week for Heathers. He shows up as a possible choice for Pumpkin. Interesting. Interesting what could have been. Uh, we often talk in our news and notes kind of thing behind the scenes for some of the movies we talk about. We talk about uh, casting choices that were supposed to be or could have been. Next story, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. It was already been a huge hit in the U.S. and it's opened in the number one position in basically every other country it can be found in. And in China, it has found itself in a new place in the record books. It's the highest grossing 2D movie in the history of the nation. Um, it, it opened number one. Numbers show its staying power has lasted there. It, um, it supplanted Interstellar as the top grossing movie ever uh, that wasn't released in 3D. Let's see. Rogue Nation's success has even allowed it to overtake some of the Chinese box office um, and become a major player in the global game. With the largest population of any country in the world, there's a huge movie-going audience uh, that Hollywood is starting to appeal to. You see this more and more. You see um, Chinese actors, China, uh, certain f scenes, films specifically for movies like Iron Man and, and Transformers. And Hollywood is really, I don't know if you call it selling out because they are in the business of making money, but they're really going after that, that, that Chinese audience. Um, China, in a sense of protectionism, they only allow a certain amount or a certain number of foreign movies into the country every year. I can't remember the, the number, 24, something like that. Uh, I actually don't, don't, don't quote me on that number because I have no idea. And uh, it's interesting because the foreign movies do really well, and that's part of the reason China puts in those protectionist laws. Uh, but to me, in the long run, it, it kind of hurts the Chinese filmmaking industry as a whole, at least is for making quality movies. Uh, this is the kind of comparison I would put it at. If LeBron James had only stayed in high school and played against high school players, he was already a great player. He was already a, a tank as a kid entering the NBA, but he never would have uh, the comp, you know, you, you rise to your competition, you learn, you, you grow. If, if you don't have anything to compete against, it's, you know, it's, it's really the way capitalism works. Um, it's, it's Darwinism. It's, it's economic Darwinism. You, you find the cheapest and best way. It's uh, about supply and demand. So if you have a bunch of subpar Chinese movies out there not having to compete against anything else, no reason to really try to grow and push the limits and be better um, and things like that, if you if you see what I'm saying. Yeah, that's fine to hit this baby. Don't mind if I do. I'm sipping on um, this Jack Daniels home, down-home punch that, uh, that Peanut left behind. It does say it contains alcohol. I would not have known that otherwise. Hmm. You know, it's like a wine cooler. Brings me back to my, my school days. Theme of the podcast. We will be having a delicious cocktail and cocktail corner later. Um, but uh, going back to that Chinese cinema thing, 
It's like when the first Kung Fu Panda came out. Uh, it did really well in China and among uh, audience, um, our viewers and critics. And people wanted to know in China, this captures China Chinese essence exactly how we would want it to. We're very proud of this. We feel it's very reflective of our culture. How in the hell did this come from America? How did this not come from within our own country? And I think that's part of it. There's just no pressure to compete, to get better. I'm not saying Chinese cinema is horrible. I mean, there's a lot of great Chinese directors and Chinese movies. It's just, again, going back to the LeBron James thing, LeBron James was great in high school, but he needed the NBA to push him. He needed to be among the best of the best to go forward. Well, that's my news. Let's head into Cocktail Corner. I see America drinking the fabulous cocktails I make. America's getting stinking on something I stir or shake. So the drink we're doing at Cocktail Corner today is simple to make, but it does take some preparation going into it. Kind of has three steps that you need to do. So the first thing is in the ice. And what we have is buy one of those, um, like cocktail ice, uh, you're going to need a mold. So you can get the big spheres, which, which is what we got, or you can get the big cubes. Now, cocktail ice is really good for when, say, you're sipping on some whiskey or some scotch, something like that, because the bigger ice, uh, because how the surface area works, it's going to melt slower, and it's going to not dilute your drink as quickly. Another benefit, and what we've used it for, is for this drink, we've taken it and we've frozen a jalapeno slice into it. Let me get a cocktail real quick. Oh, yeah. So uh, I have a red jalapeno slice sliced in here, but you can use this for other things. Earlier today, or rather yesterday, I had frozen some lemon slices in these cubes, and uh, today I dropped it in a glass and put some mineral water on it. It's fantastic. Uh, the trick, lemon, the lemon cube or the lemon wedge worked out okay. One thing that I haven't quite managed or figured out or expert or mastered yet is um, the jalapeno ring will float in the water. So what you're going to need to do is let the ice kind of tilt it on the side, let it freeze, rotate it so that you can get the ring more or less not directly on the surface, as close to the center as possible. So our first step is preparing an ice cube uh, with a jalapeno in it. Second thing that you're going to need to take a week or two weeks or 30 days is you're going to need to infuse some vodka with ginger. Now, we've talked about infusion on here before. It's a great way to spice up some of your cheaper alcohols and experiment with flavors. We've talked about many flavors we've done. On this one, um, let's see, we did this maybe about a week ago, so not a long time, usually with fruits and vegetables, you're going to want to go almost 30 days. If you want to do a short infusion, um, something like jelly beans or bubble gum, something like that you can do in 24 hours. But we've uh, diced up some ginger, took off the peel, 
something I've learned with a lot of these fruits and vegetables is the liquid really does take on the flavor of everything. So if you don't want it too bitter, be sure to peel the rinds. Like we made a big mistake when we did the pomegranate by leaving the rind on. So that's our second step. And the third one is easy, just agave syrup. I suppose you could use simple syrup. I, I would suggest using agave syrup. So I did have this drink in Tahoe, Lake Tahoe, at this place called Austin's. And it was great. And how it works is you've got kind of some of the spicy from the uh, gin or the ginger vodka. And it's sweetened up by the syrup. But as the ice melts, it adds a little bit more, slowly spices up your drink. It's pretty cool. Um, you could probably add something else to this, like maybe some soda water, perhaps, or tonic, if you wanted to really kind of summer it up and make it even more refreshing. But we're just going with these three ingredients. I don't really know the ratios you should use on this, so I'm going to go pretty heavy on the ginger vodka. And um, hopefully, because I don't need, I, I'm thinking you're not going to want to use too much of the agave syrup. So, and again, another reason maybe that tonic or soda water would help to um, dilute the alcohol in the vodka a little bit. But let's go ahead and, and try it out. So, I've already got the ice in my glass. Going to add some of this ginger. Alrighty. I filled it up. Uh, so I'm using like a, like a tumbler, like a brandy glass for this. You know, you need something pretty wide and squat to, to uh, be able to hold that, that spherical ice cube. And now the agave syrup. I'm using a uh, organic blue agave sweetener from Trader Joe's. We'll plop some of this in there. So I'd say I just put in maybe, ooh, gosh, I don't know, half an ounce. Not a whole lot. Agave usually goes a long way. It's, um, it's pretty sweet. And I'm just going to swirl it because uh, here's the problem is uh, I didn't get my jalapeno really frozen down. So it's already starting to peek out here a little bit. And um, I'm going to go ahead and have a sip, tell you how it, how it goes. It's good. It's good. Um, I probably would go ahead. So I probably would go about 75% with the mixture I just said, and then just top it off that last 25% with, with some soda water, something like that, which I could pause and do, but I'm not going to. It's a, it's a good drink. It's a tasty beverage. And I'd like to toast to this week. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of new shows. Basically, the new fall season of TV TV started. Haven't got a chance to watch many or a lot of them. Not a, a huge huge TV watcher. Uh, but I did watch Scream Queens yesterday. I, I've been kind of looking forward to seeing it. I like it. It's on Fox. It's uh it's cheesy as hell. Um, but I find it kind of humorous and slightly offensive in the right ways it's got the chick uh one of the chicks from american horror story um kind of the if you remember um coven or coven she was the uh one of the witches that wanted to become the supreme 
the the blonde one, the the rich actress one. Um, had some little cameos in there. Ariana Grande. If you don't like her, you might want to watch the show because she gets killed. Sorry about the spoiler. I like it. It's um, it's quite a bit like reminds me quite a bit of the first Scream movie in a way, uh, even slightly more tongue in cheek. Um, not for everyone. Like I said, some people think it's really stupid. Uh, so if you're not a horror fan, uh, it might be too grotesque for you. If you are a horror fan, you just might think it's dumb. So we're drinking to Scream Queens on Fox. Well, I don't have really anything else. Oh, actually I do. I'm sorry, I forgot in the beginning. We had a call on the VIP line, on the potable picture line. And uh, let's cue that up for us and find out what that's about. And if you ever want to call in, um, leave a question or a comment or a suggestion or a request or a demand, we have a recorded line where you can leave a message for us. It's greatly appreciated. 775-996-3986. So let's uh, get on to this message. Hello, Puddle Picture people. I have a question for you, and perhaps you can assuage some of my adult guilt and childhood fear. Uh, I was wondering what family or children's films have most disturbed you. For instance, when I was a young person, if I were to date myself, I was most disturbed by The Dark Crystal and The Last Unicorn. I know, laugh as you like, but The Last Unicorn was fucking scary. Anyway, I look forward to hearing your response. Let's see, that's a good one. Um, I was scared, see I was a weird kid, as I watched a lot of horror movies pretty early on. But I was scared of pretty much everything, though. I was I was I was scared of Chuck E. Cheese. Um, I remember being kind of afraid, and on some level not knowing why, of Neverending Story and the Wolf and the Nothing. So on the physical and literal level, and the the level I could understand, I, I was afraid of that wolf. But on a level, because this was, I think that movie came out when I was uh, like around second grade, maybe. I, I, I'm not sure I could, something about the nothing, about everything disappearing, um, frightened me. Some other things that were rather disturbing that I didn't catch as disturbing until later on, and I think we talked about this on the picture show, was The Secret of Nim. If you go back and watch the original, like the beginning, the montage of the rats being um, experimented on really, really dark stuff there. Uh, trying to think of, of other things. Cause there was some Disney movies, like something wicked this way comes. Um, I'm trying to think of, uh, of something else odd. There was a movie called the black hole. I think something about that kind of scared me. I was pretty young. That was like three or four around that. Um, Hmm. Can't think of anything else besides right now. I could see how the, the Dark Crystal, because it was a pretty dark movie. It was a it was a failure when it came out, and it's become a, a, a cult classic. Uh, it did have some dark things in it. I, I wasn't really afraid of that. But yeah, something about Neverending Story, which is a 
is has some thrills in it for a kid, but a pretty harmless movie. It's got, you know, the luck dragon. Oh, there was another part, and I don't, again, not really sure why this scared me. Also, in NeverEnding Story, there's a part where they have to pass through these two um, giant monolithic statues that judge them, and if they're judged incorrectly, uh, it's been a long time since I've seen this movie, so, I mean, literally, it's probably been 30 years. But it would it would blast these people out of existence, and for some reason that scared me too. And again, I don't I didn't really understand it. I remember being scared of it and asking my parents like, why 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 were they killed? Why did they not pass the test? What was wrong with them? I don't understand. I don't know. Maybe I already had like a lot of even though I wasn't raised Catholic. Maybe I grew up with a lot of some sort of a what do they call it? Um, born in sin or whatever. I had a guilty conscience even at three or four years old that I thought I wasn't pure of heart. I have no idea uh, why those things scared me. Um, anyway, so thanks for the question. That was our frequent uh, listener. Kellen, let's head into, let's find our feature presentation and head into it. Head and feet first. So we have two movies to cover, basically themed, Back to School and Billy Madison. Both movies about returning to school. So we'll start, uh, we'll go chronologically, which means we begin with Rodney Dangerfield in 1986 with Back to School. Uh, Runtime, hour and 36 minutes. Let's see what we have to say about this film. Um, Rodney Dangerfield's character named Thornton Mellon. He he owns um, uh, a line of what are they? They're called uh, tall and fat stores. He's got 150 of them. He's kind of made himself a self-made millionaire. Anyway, his character Thornton Mellon. He's a trick diver in the movie, or he was in his younger days. Uh, they refer to him back about, you know, and they show him as an older guy um, doing these trick dives and, and I guess the climax of the movie. Uh, but Rodney Dangerfield himself was also a trick diver in his younger days in real life. In uh, there's an opening montage in this film which uses very poor... Um, Photoshopping, I don't know what you call Photoshopping in, in 1986, but uh, really not good looking. But there is there is an opening, uh, there is a, a shot. It's a lot of still sh- uh, scenes showing um, Rodney Dangerfield's character, Thornton Mellon, growing up, and his son growing up as well. And there's a shot of Rodney Dangerfield golfing. This was taken directly from Caddyshack, which was the first film Rodney Dangerfield appeared in, I believe. Of course, a classic comedy. Diane's house in this film is the same that is used as the Doyle house where Jamie Lee Curtis babysat in Hollywood, Holly, <laughs> Halloween, the original Halloween. Speaking of Jamie Lee Curtis and what I was talking about, Scream Queens, uh, she's in that show. Um, the room in which Thornton Melden takes his three-hour oral exam is the same room in which Alex Owens makes his successful dance audition in Flashdance. 
What else? Due to Rodney Dangerfield's contractual obligation with Miller Brewing Company and appearing in Miller Lite uh, beer commercials, only only Miller beer was allowed to be shown in certain scenes. So I certainly... Uh, I thought about getting a Miller Lite as my sipping beverage. Do they even make Miller Lite anymore? I suppose they do. Um, But I could have got myself a Miller. The song playing at Chaz's fraternity party before the girls abandon it for Maloney's is Everybody's Crazy, a song from Michael Bolton's days as a metal singer. If you're interested in what that sounds like, uh, you can listen to that on as the outro music or go check it out on youtube if you want to actually see the video for this film michael bolton interestingly enough um when black sabbath was looking for replacement singers they had a lot of replacement singers after ozzy uh, ronnie dio being among the most well-known michael bolton was one that they considered and when i read that i was like oh, i could see that he had a he had a strong rock voice especially for that 80s, early 80s style of generic rock, which uh, Back to School is full of, the, full of this uh, 1980s generic. I, I mean, I'm a big, I'm big into the 80s rock, like like the hair shit, but some a lot of this stuff was so damn generic. Um, Alice Cooper's song, The Great American Success Story, which is on the album Constrictor, I believe it has a snake on the front, hence the title Constrictor, uh, apparently, this was intended to be the theme song for this movie. The theme song that does happen, called Back to School or something like that. Great example of generic 80s rock. But anyway, this Alice Cooper song, Great American Success Story, its lyrics summarize the plot and include, he don't get no respect, the chorus leads off with the phrase, back to school, the song was not used in the film, and there's no mention of the connection in the liner notes of the album. I don't really know what, what happened, or if that was just a coincidence, or, or what. <laughs> That's fine to hit this baby. <sighs> mm, that ice cube is really unleashing the jalapeno flavor. Um, during the scene... Where Rodney Dangerfield is in Sam Kinison's history class, and where Kinison uh, picks up the desk and throws it across the room while yelling at Dangerfield. If you look really closely, you can see that Rodney Dangerfield is laughing while Ke- while Kinison is yelling at him uh, and trying to get him to answer the question about the Korean conflict. This take was ultimately left in the movie because Dangerfield had such a hard time keeping a straight face. During his scene with Kinnison, uh, it took so many tries for him not to laugh. Eventually, the director, uh, the director's name is Alan Meter, he decided to leave him laughing from a far distance in the final cut because there was no other way to get around it. Um, it's interesting for that character. Rodney Dangerfield was really big into bringing comics and comedians um, that he liked and respected. And like not really discovering them, but help, but helping them out. And uh, that's pretty cool. I've heard the same thing about Robin Williams. You know, Mork and Mindy brought David Letterman on for, for a show. Um, there were some other actors for that Sam Kennison part. Uh, they had considered Jim Carrey at the time, but they thought he was too young. Um, Rodney Dangerfield was friends with um, Bob Saget. 
but they thought that Bob Sackett didn't have enough edge for that character. Pretty interesting. I like it that comedians can bury the ego. And and I've heard this a lot about a lot of uh, the com- comedian network. Is, is It's one of the industries, it seems like, where people can... Uh, there, there's respect for each other, unless you're a joke stealer or something like that. That they will try to help each other out with gigs and things like that. I try to do that here with the podcast and our movie group and things like that. Sometimes I get criticized for helping out other people too much. Um, and I understand that because they don't really, the favor isn't always returned. But, you know, it's give a little, take a little. Give a penny, take a penny. It's my mentality. I don't really want to change it just because other people are assholes. So what are some of these notes I wrote here for Back to School? Um, In the beginning of the film, uh, it's New York City, 1940, and the Rodney Dangerfield character, as a kid, he's, uh, his dad looks like he owns one tailor shop, and he shows his dad his report card, and his dad's like, what kind of marks are these? And, um... And, and how are you going to get into college? And Rodney Dangerfield's character says, you know, I don't want to go to college. And the dad says, you're nothing. No matter how rich you are, you're nothing without an education. So I think that's interesting thing to look at as far as education goes. Um, I had a stepdad that, that believed the opposite. When I was in high school... And going into college, he didn't really support it because in his day, you you picked up a trade. You only went to school if you were going to be a lawyer or a doctor, you know, or, you know, some sort of teacher or hippie. That it wasn't necessary. He didn't understand that um, really for a lot of jobs, you need an education on your on your um, resume for many jobs. Now, something I found, that isn't necessarily true. There's a lot of jobs that will take experience. Uh, if you need a degree for a job, a lot of the time you're going to need something better than just a BA. You're going to need your master's, something I've run across personally a little bit. Also, I found that people, especially people without degrees, look to people with degrees like that they're on some sort of higher standing, but, you know, there's people that, that, that pass school with C's, D's, maybe cheat, maybe pay someone to write their papers. They get out, they know nothing about their major. And, and even me, who I, I, you know, I studied political science, science and, uh, and, and film, pretty knowledgeable about those things. But there's people that never, never went to school, that, that, that are, really know their history and their contextual history. And they know um, current events, they know economics, and all of this is self-taught by reading um, and news and NPR, things like that. I do understand that employers uh, will look at a degree more than your knowledge, but it shows you can complete something, um, that you're a rounded person, I suppose. I'm glad I went to school. I, I love education. I would keep going. Uh, I would. It took me a while to finish my degree because I was so all over the place, loving to learn about stuff. But mostly, you know, you <laughs> there's only so many art and um, and like PE classes you can take, and you can't just keep jumping all over the place. 
I mean, I, I, I don't know. You can get a liberal arts degree or something like that, which is basically what that is. Um, what else did I write here? Oh, I forgot to look this up. So maybe you can look this up at home, or maybe I, I will. So Robert Downey Jr. is in this film, looking like a slightly pudgy gothic version of Robert Downey Jr., and he's got a gap in his teeth, and that must have been fixed. I don't think I've noticed that in other films. As I'm, I'm wondering, what in what timeline did that little gap in his teeth get fixed? Danny Elfman did the soundtrack for this film. You know, Danny Elfman's done the soundtrack for several films. We know him a lot for pretty much uh, every Tim Burton movie. Uh, also, Oingo Boingo, which Danny Elfman came from, is is uh, that band is featured in the party in one of these films. So we have Sam Kennison, Robert Downey Jr., Oingo Boingo. Oh, uh, I don't I don't know the actor's name, but Polly from Rocky. He's Rodney Dangerfield's chauffeur slash muscle slash tough. Um, one of the parties, I noticed a uh, uh, more than one Magnum PI style mustache. Interesting style the mustache. I, I was talking earlier about the. Uh, uh, oh no! I was watching a football game on Sunday and, and I saw a guy that had the uh, the Richard Pryor mustache. I think some more black guys should should rock the Richard Pryor mustache. Bring back the mustache. Get rid of those uh, lumber sexual beards and everything. I mean that's that's that bubble's popped right. Let's go back to the porn stash. Hmm. One-liners, a lot of one-liners in this movie. I, I remember watching this movie as a kid and not really liking or thinking it was funny, but the the, the vaudevillian one one-liners, uh, I found a lot more a lot more humorous this time around. Rewatching this movie, practical teaching. So there's a part where Rodney Dangerfield's character is in a class, a business class, and um, he's questioning his teacher. About a lot of things, the teacher says that they're going to start from the ground up about starting a new business. And Rodney Dangerfield is asking uh, a lot of questions and the teacher saying, well, that's irrelevant and this and that. So it's like theoretical teaching versus practical knowledge or real life knowledge. And I've come across this in my... Hold on a second. That's fine to hit this baby. I've come across this in my life um, as a as a political science major, an international relations major. I took a class on it was called governments of Asia or governments of East Asia, I believe. Of course, uh, you may know I lived in China for five years. In addition to that, I read several books on China. I um, read news stories based around China basically every day. A lot of Chinese friends, was uh, formerly married to a Chinese person, traveled all around Asia besides that. And this teacher who, who had visited China, um, I guess he, he almost went every year, he said things that were just not true. And I would even ask Chinese friends and, and people, my teacher said this. Now, Chinese people really don't think that. Uh, and what my teacher said in this example was, and this is just one example, 
China, for some reason, Chinese people really like American cars. They hold American cars up to a high standard. They think all American um, products besides that are crap, but American cars are held to a high standard. It's like, no, no, uh, none of my, I was a teacher there. I went, I had several, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of students and we, we would have discussions. So, you know, I, I knew this and, but in, anyway, I went to ask people anyway, no, no, like it's not even that they look down on them. They don't even think about them. I mean, it doesn't really even exist to a Chinese person. Um, Audi, Audi is where it's at. And, um, BMW, Rolls-Royce, mostly Audi though. Audi is the big luxury car in China. At least it was when I was there. I don't know what he was saying about and I, you know, I do hear other, I'm not going to go off on that tangent, but I wanted to keep it on the teacher, on the teacher side. So there are people, and I read um, intellectual or academic essays around China by people that were, you know, PhDs and, and things that completely missed a mark on on whatever the hell they were talking about on their theory it was interesting reading all these theories about why America should be afraid of, of China attacking us. It's just freaking crazy. Let me see. Um, so yeah, I wrote here, teachers equal experts. Some people do, do look at that. I have friends, um, or I know people that they've been told something by a teacher. And I mean, it goes back to, to heathen was here talking about classic, psychological tests uh there's the one that the shock test where where they um they have if you don't know this i'm, I'm setting up the, the test for you they have a person on one side of the room that has a gauge that goes from like one to five and four or five says like deadly do not go and there's a person on the other side that supposedly is hooked up to this charge. So they're really not. There's no there's no electric charge. But the person administering the fake charge, they're not in on it. Everyone else is. So the person that's supposed to administer the charge, um, they're they're like asking questions. And if the person on the other end gets the question wrong, then they're supposed to be zapped. So what happens is there's also an administrator or a person um, telling the question asker, the one that's administering the quote charge, um, he's also in the room. And what happens is if the administrator says, turn it up to four or five, the people do it. Even when the person on the other side that's hooked up to the charge no longer is even responding the person administering the charge will still do it. And the bottom line is, is that people, or at least us as Americans, but I think a lot of people, especially Westerners, I think maybe everywhere, we're very impressionable when it comes to authority. We, we assume authority is always right. We will always follow authority. So I, I, I could see how someone would think a teacher or an instructor is always right. And you assume that when you're going to a class. Uh, it took me a while until I was older to realize that sometimes teachers are, are teaching their biases. I mean, I, I've seen this. I mean, they, they really are. They're teaching their biases and their opinions. So, I got to... Uh, it's fine to hit that baby. 
flavor explosion is what that's called. Can't really think of anything else about back to school right now. Let's talk about Billy Madison. Comes out nine years later. 1995, the year I graduated. Runtime of an hour and 29 minutes. I forgot to look this up um, when I was looking at this movie. Adam Sandler was listed as a Golden Globe nominee. I'm assuming that would be for something like Spanglish or Punch Drunk Love. I forgot to look that up. Again, if you want to uh, to, to, to send that in, uh, you can do that. Let us know. PotablePictureShow at gmail.com or uh, tweet us at, literally, at Potable Pictures. What else? Um, in the beginning, he's very excited. He can't remember what day it is. Don't know if there's ever a day that I get really excited about unless it's really like a one-time event. Um, hmm. You know, as a kid like Christmas. In this case, he's excited by Nudie Magazine Day. And he goes and he collects his 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 magazines from the, the mailbox, which include uh, She-Mail, Fiesta, Women Over 80, uh, and uh, one called Drunk Chicks that he's really into. I think if I was going to make myself a, or, or put out a nudie magazine, I think I'd want to put out Circus Sluts. And, yeah, we'd have, like, contortionists and clowns and lion tamers. Hot stuff. We have a uh, Chris Farley appearance in this film. He's not even... Um, Credited, I believe. We have Steve Buscemi. He basically saves the day at the end. Um, what else about this movie? During the so so, I th- I think you know the synopsis of this movie is that Billy Madison, Adam Sandler, he's his dad is going to retire, and. To take over the company, he's either going to leave it to this guy named Eric, who's got this, like, I don't know, pubic, red, red pubic do, or, or, uh, or Billy Madison, Adam Sandler. And it comes to that, uh, maybe Billy Madison's not up to snuff for running the company. How can he prove it? Well, he needs to go through school again and graduate because the first time around, Billy Madison's dad, who uh, they wanted Charles Bronson to play that Billy Madison's dad. They didn't get him. Um, Billy Madison's dad had, had paid off the teachers the first time around. And so to prove himself, he goes through again. And I like it like uh, to pass second grade, he's got he's to gotta spell the word couch for the spelling bee. Um, I don't know what he really has to do for the other grades to pass. I mean, how do you pass? How do you fail first grade? I think I almost failed first grade by missing too many classes. My mom had to talk to the teacher. Um, I think it was in first grade for the movie, and I wrote this down, that Billy Madison is drawing a blue duck. and He has this explanation like, I draw blue duck. I made it blue because I've never seen a blue duck and I wanted to know what it looked like. So going back to the China thing that we talked about in in the news earlier, here's a difference between, or one difference between Chinese education 
and the student teacher and how their mentality and focus is, is on things and the American Western side. So in America, if say you had a coloring book and you were coloring in a blue duck or you just, you know, or like Billy Madison and you drew a blue, blue duck, the teacher would say, wow, that's very creative. Good job. In China, they would tell you, you're an idiot. There's no blue ducks. What's wrong with you? Now paint that duck brown or you know green or black like a, like a real duck. What, what is wrong with you? So anyway, different perception on how things work. Uh, that's, that's fine to hit this baby. <sighs> okay, where were we? Blue duck. There's a part where, so Billy Madison has a crush on his third grade teacher. And he has one of his classmates call the teacher to find out if that teacher likes anyone in the class, so on and so forth. How, how do they have the teacher's phone number? I mean, I guess it's 1995 and people still use the phone book, so I guess they could, they could look it up. thought that was weird. Just like in the end when Stevie Sammy comes and saves the day and, and shoots uh, Eric, the bad guy. Um, and Adam Sandler says, I'm glad I called that guy. How, how does Adam Sandler know who that is? I mean, it's been like 25 years. How, how does he recognize him? I don't know. Here are the plot holes in Billy Madison. Uh, I don't think anyone really cares. So, you know, Adam Sandler films, I found on rewatching this that I, well, okay, so I've talked about, I think going back to the first episode of the Potable Picture Show, that, and, and I write about it often and use it as an example, that Adam Sandler comedies now are just not funny, and he just looks like he's phoning it in, really, like Pixels, um, what was that one he did with like Andy Sandberg? Just, just does not look like he's enjoying himself. Upon rewatching this, at least it looked like he was having fun, and I was somewhat amused just watching him. But I found something else besides Adam Sandler not putting in the effort on the performances, is that, and it's a good thing, I'm not the same person I was when I was 15, 16, that I can't necessarily watch Billy Madison and some of these movies and, and be amused like I was when I was 15. Billy Madison was never really at the top of my list. I really liked... Um, Happy Gilmore and The Water Boy. And I, I honestly, I can still watch both of those movies as stupid as they are and enjoy them. Billy Madison was never really up there for me. This was, even though I think Adam Sandler was in a movie called Overboard or something like that before this, Billy Madison was his first, like, featured film, if you want to call it that. Um... can't think of, uh, there's a part where I wrote about being in front of the class. Have you ever been embarrassed being in front of the class or had something go wrong? The teacher's kind of messing with him because Bailey Madison doesn't know how to do cursive Z's. Um, having a crush on a teacher. Never specifically had that. I'm kind of jealous of these guys that that, uh, that did get together with their, I, I never really had any hot teachers, really. Um I did have higher standards when I was 8 and 9 and 10 and 13, so you know, maybe they were hot, but I but I but I but I doubt it. 
there was one recently, I don't remember what state it was, that she didn't do anything with her class, but they found out that she had like an amateur porn website. She was a, a music teacher. That sounds just about perfect. If I could, if I could rethink a, uh, a, a like 16-year-old porn fantasy for me, it would definitely be having a, a uh, porn music teacher. Um, you know, holding me after class to, uh, to teach me how to, how to, or she, she would personally show me how she was a first chair in trumpet and how she knows how to blow. I don't know. Teaching me the, the proper fingerings for, uh, Ode to Joy. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I, I, I never really had too much, never really had a crush on a teacher, never really, um, had any mishaps in front of class. I used to have a thing when I was younger, and I don't know if this still happens. It's one of those things where you want, once you, for me, and this may happen to you, and I don't know what it is. There are certain things that once I think about things, that they, they start to come true. Um, like, like, for example, in school, I remember having to do like an oral presentation, <laughs> uh, having to give having to read something or, or, or orotate something and thinking, what would happen if I start crying right, right now? What would happen if I start crying right now? Um, and then almost happening. And just like as a kid, as a, as a boy, when you're 15 and 16, if you're like, oh, I hope I don't get a boner right now, as soon as you think about it, it happens. I mean, pretty much when you're that age, like 13 to 17-ish, give or take a couple years, uh, as soon as that 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 dick synapse enters your brain, your dick is awake. He's like, hey, someone call my name. I'm ready to go. I'm ready. I've had my Red Bull. Send me in. So, yeah. Um, which brings me back to <laughs> something in college. Although you do wear sweatpants to a strip club, don't wear them to school or college, especially without underwear, especially when your chair's at the back of the room, when you come into class and you're like, shit, I'm late, and everyone's sitting down, and your dick's like jaws at eye level, don't, don't, passing everyone by, there's, there's nothing you can do. It just flies out there. You're basically waiting to injure someone's face if you trip at that point. That happened to me in college. Um... Also, jogging or, or running. I remember, I remember um, you know, when there's like a sidewalk and there's an opening for cars between um, uh, uh, to, to drive in to, to the strip mall. Um, I, remember, I remember actually from college walking back to my car and I parked uh, by a golf course slash zoo slash park and uh, jogging and my pants kind of slipped down and my dick flopped out <laughs> and this black guy this black guy jogging kind of looked over and he went oh gross <laughs> i just thought that was so funny that he had to make a comment on it oh gross <laughs> uh, anyways <laughs> that's fine to hit this baby uh, let's see Anything else for Back to School or Billy Madison? Don't think I wrote anything else out for these films. Well, let's go in. Let's keep this short. As we said, let's keep this brief and tight 
since we do have another episode coming out in a few days. That episode will be for School of Rock and Dead Poet Society. Let's head into our ranks. The Five. So, with Back to School, it's autumn time, and there's autumn things going on. We're in the midst of the fall autumn season. I'm going to rank to you my favorite things about autumn. What I like best about autumn time. I'm, honestly, I'm a summer guy, spring guy. I like the beach. I like swimming. I like uh, not having to wear very many clothes. I like things that go on in the summertime, like the drive-in. But for this, I'm going to list my favorite things about autumn. Five things. I'm going to start at five, the crust, and go to one, the cream. I'm going to go from the crust to the cream. Crust, sorry. Going from the crust to the cream. I haven't drank that much. Might as well drink some more then. Uh, that's, that's fine to hit this baby. All right. The crust of the cream. The crust being number five, the least of this top five, and one being the, the best. Number five. Taking a day or an hour or a couple of hours to take a drive and watch the leaves change. So yeah, that's kind of not masculine. But it's a nice, cheap, free date thing to do in autumn. You got to catch it the right time. If you get it too early, they haven't changed. You catch it too late, they've already changed or they're dead. But if you can get it in the middle when there's that burst of colors, it's a nice, cheap, free thing to do. And you can enjoy it. Just, what do they call it? Lazy Sunday drive. Take a lazy Sunday drive. Go out with your lady or guy or whatever you're into. And maybe on the way to something else. Maybe on the way to one of these other items on my list. So number five, taking a drive and seeing the leaves changing. Number four. Harvest season in itself. So where I come from, there's a place called Apple Hill. It has apples. Would you have guessed that? With a place called Apple Hill. They have pumpkins. They have other things like that. Don't. It's it's hard for me to go because you can't go on the weekend because it's, it's sort of a local tourist thing. So you'll just have, um, I mean, in a small town with a tourist destination, those two things don't line up really that well. If you get... 200 cars onto a one lane road not a good thing but hit it on the weekend but i but generally if i if i are on the weekday if you get in on a weekday that harvest season of of uh you know just all that stuff available and the hay rides and it's just kind of a generic answer because it's listing all kinds of things but but just that season when apples are coming up pumpkins are coming up ciders coming out pies are coming out and, and that atmosphere, that smell in the air, and, and, and the, the earthiness of the produce. Number three, pumpkin cheesecake. Pumpkin cheesecake makes its appearance this time of year. Um, we live next door to a cheesecake factory. I'm looking forward to the ch- uh, pumpkin cheesecake there. Uh, what's the Olive Garden has a pumpkin cheesecake that comes out around this time of year. I love cheesecake. I don't know how much I feel about pumpkin flavor. I'm not one of those like pumpkin flavor whores that needs pumpkin flavored everything. Pumpkin cheesecake, I do like though, and I do like the cheesecake at Cheesecake Factory. I'm I'm picky on my cheesecake. I like the firm cheesecake. I like the dense. I don't like the creamy kind of lumpy cheesecake that you you often get at buffets and homemade. 
I like cheesecake that is just like you you you, you almost you can't you can't swallow it. It's just you can't. It's oh god, it's so good. Number tool, number tool. Uh, that deserves a baby hit. <laughs> That's fine to hit this baby. Number two is football season. To me, uh, when I think of fall and a lot of things, uh, there are some things on this list that I'm not going to list that that when I think of fall, like Thanksgiving, I think of when I think of fall. Noticeably not in my top five, spoiler alert. I do think of football. I know football goes into winter, but I think of it as an autumn thing. I was very happy when football started this season. My team, the Bears, I wasn't looking forward to. Even before the season started, I wrote on Facebook, I doubt the Bears will win six games this year or more than six games. That was before Cutler and Alshon Jeffrey went down. With that, um, uh, yeah, definitely not six, five. I mean, they're honestly... I. I don't, I don't know what team they could beat right now. But I'm happy. I'm happy for football season. I'm happy. I don't know I don't know why. I don't want to be a douchebag guy that um, likes sports. But there is something about, there's something, I don't, I've had friends, and I, and I, I, I value their opinion, and it kind of came down to one of those things is we'll just have to agree to disagree. I have friends usually of the intellectual variety that, especially with football, but it's usually all sports, but especially with football, classified as barbaric, pointless, stupid, don't understand why anyone would watch it, a waste of time. And for me, I don't 100% trust those people. I do understand that it is just a game. It is kind of pointless. Maybe they shouldn't be paid so much money to play a game. But it comes down to competition. It comes down to back in the old days in a male's DNA, caveman time. It was what can I do versus another person to prove that I'm a hunter, a protector, a provider. Because um, back then it was probably, you know, one guy. if one guy beat the fuck out of you, he took your woman, you know, kind of thing. And if you didn't have the athletic skill to bring down a mastodon to feed your family, then your chick's leaving for, you know, someone that can. And that lineage, it's going to pass down, you know, the, 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 the providers. Um, you know, maybe there was the brains back then that, that figured out spears and fire and, and, and other things. And they, they proved their worth in the long run, too. And, and they were cunning. But I believe in our DNA, it's still there is a sense of competition. And when we don't compete ourselves, that there is still some thrill out of watching other people compete. Now, I think a lot of us or many of us enjoy watching things like boxing and MMA and, uh, you know, football and things like that. We don't necessarily want to see someone just get the shit beat out of them on the street um, for no reason. But there's something about... Uh, you know, gladiator games in a way that just watching a person push the the limits of their physicality against another person. I mean, it's where the Olympics came from, right? So for me, that was a long explanation about <laughs> about why football's number two. 
Um, number one, Halloween. I, I talked about recently how Halloween and New Year's Eve are my favorite holidays and they've dipped down. They're still my favorite holidays. They just don't hold as much sway on me as, it, as they used to just as you get older. Um, Reno has several costumed crawls. They have a vampire crawl, a zombie crawl, a superhero crawl. We recently had a pirate crawl. And as a kid, or younger, I was really into pirates. I read books about them. I had lots of pirate paraphernalia. Really into that. Mostly the romantic culture of pirates. Again, talking about um, the pirate culture romanticized by Hollywood and culture, not like the real real life uh, being a pirate, which is is people don't, you know. Being a pirate has been romanticized again taking romanticized in the classical sense of the word but uh my mom asked me uh you know what 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 i was doing and i said uh, we were going to go down heathen and i were going to go down and hang out with someone and have a couple beers and watch the pirate crawl just watch the costumes and she was very surprised why i wasn't participating or whatever and I said, you know what, Mom? I don't know. I'm just, I, I would like to, I'm just too lazy to dress up. And then she had to make a comment about, ah, it's getting old. Sounds like you're getting old. And yeah, that's definitely part of it. And that's probably 80% of it. The other 20% is, like I said, I have all this pirate shit somewhere. I don't know where it's at. I don't want to go out and buy new pirate stuff. It's not like I go around like a pirate every day. Um, we did go out here and I did go out that day and, uh, too early for the pirate crawl. We took in a couple other drinks and expeditions and, um, some celebration. They actually had Reno's largest, uh, shot ski. I don't know if you guys have had a shot ski. If you, if you've ever gone to college or been to a college town or a college bar, you've probably seen them. It's where they take three or four or five shots and they glue it to a ski and you and four buddies, you have to um, tilt up the ski at, at one time and you all drink it at the same time. I've actually never done this. I'd like to do it. I, I, I went to a school that didn't have that kind of mentality. I went to Sac State, which is a commuter school, not a party school, not like uh, Arizona State or San Diego State or Humboldt State or any other school that has fun. Um, but they had the world, world's or uh, uh, Nevada's. I'm kind of curious what the what the world's largest shot ski would be. And uh, again, showing how old I am is that it, uh, I stayed inside and slowly enjoyed my old speckled hen instead of going out and participating in Reno's largest shot ski. And I really wanted to for no other reason, just for the free shot, but. Whatever, what have you? I'm growing up. God damn it, I'm growing up. Uh, that's that's fine to hit this baby. All right. Um, I don't think I have too much else to say. That is a delicious cocktail. Let's go into last call. Last call. Looking at the world through the bottom of a glass. All I see is a manner's fade. Last call. So, uh, just another reminder: uh, please send in your questions, comments, suggestions. If you don't want us to play it on the air, let us know. We won't do it. Actually, 
that maybe that won't work because I don't listen to the um, questions before they come in. But if you do want it played on the air, please leave a message at 775-996-3986. That's 775-996-3986. If you want to leave uh, any other sort of suggestion or comment, you can always email us, potablepictureshow at gmail.com. Go to the website, uh, potablepictureshow.com. Tweet us, uh, at Potable Pictures. We have Skype, um, other things like that. Go on iTunes, give us a review, give us a rating, let us know. Maybe even send in a, a suggestion on things to rank. It doesn't even have to be related to what we're watching. Sometimes I come up with um, um, trouble on segments or, or, or things we should rank, especially as I'm presenting them to other people. If you have something you'd like us to rank or a specific person, if you want Beer Maker Matt, Matt to rank some beers or you want Heathen to rank some nonsensical um, mumbo jumbo about the uh, Aquarius. Send those questions in. Fantastic. Get it to us at the VIP line. Again, it's a recorded line, 24 hours. Just call in or email us if that's your preference. And as I promised you, oh, first, before going into that, uh, next week, if you don't want to keep up with this, we will be watching or talking about um, the. Uh, School of Rock with Jack Black and Dead Poet Society with Robin Williams. Um, prepare yourselves for that podcast. That will probably be hitting the stream Sunday or Monday. And um, always, any other questions, just send them in. But again, as promised, here is Michael Bolton's Everybody's Crazy. Keep it wet, everybody. Michael, are you crazy? I can't believe what you're wearing, what you look like. In high school, you look so normal. I thought you were gonna be a doctor or a lawyer or something normal like that. Normal, huh? Normal is something people are until you get to know them. Everybody's crazy.
No Easter egg.